I have walked out on a pool deck <laughs> and oh, been like, boy. excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> and it didn't go over very well, so I didn't do that again. No. <laughs> I would love to have seen that. <laughs> Excuse me. Um. Welcome to Fit to Be Radio. Slip on your minimal sneakers, notch your headphones into your ears, tuck your smartphone into your pocket, and take us along for a walk while we talk. Or just grab a cup of your favorite drink and get on the floor and stretch a bit while we bring you all things fitness, core, and diastases recti related. Okay, I'm recording, guys. So don't interrupt me, okay? I love you, but don't talk to me. Hey everybody, welcome to Fit to Be Radio. My name is Chris Bakey. I'm here with Beth Learn. She's the CEO and founder of Fit to Be Studio. And we've also got with us returning, I'm so excited to talk to Michelle Lyons today. Michelle, thank you for joining us. Really, really appreciate it. Um, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Yeah, pleasure to be back. Honored to be in such illustrious company. Again, for my third visit back to Fit to Be Radio. So happy to be here. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so today we're going to dig into something that is, it's actually, it's not talked about enough, which is kind of odd because it's so important. Um, and maybe we can e- even get into why that might be. It's, it's, um, it's heart health and, and how that's yeah. related to kind of all of the things. And I'm excited to get into it because it is um, just kind of on a global scale. It's very important and it's very problematic and it's, often um ignored a lot and so i'd love to just Mm -hmm. dive in and and kind of hear from both of you guys um maybe we start off talking about why it might be just not it's kind of ignored as a topic and it's not really enough importance is put on Mm -hmm. even though it's a very serious issue um what do you guys think about that well i wanted to have michelle on for this and she actually suggested it and here we are right now recording in February. Um, I think this is actually going to end up getting put out towards the end of February or March. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's the month we talk about heart health. I think it gets ignored, uh, even though it is the number one killer of women, because women have different signs and symptoms of it than men. A lot of times we don't yeah. even know we're struggling with it until it takes us yeah. out. And so, It's a 2020 hindsight kind of issue. Um, And we get very busy as women. We we, we joke that men don't like to go to the doctor, but I actually think that women sometimes have an even harder time going to the doctor, you know, because for us, especially if you're a young mother, you've got 29 kids in tow and 14 strollers and 32 diaper bags. That's what it feels like anyway. (laughs) And a boppy. (laughs) That is a lot. Michelle, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I agree completely with you. You know, whenever I teach, you know, to um, to to normal people, you know, that aren't working in healthcare, one of the questions that I ask about, you know, particularly this time of year in February, is, you know, so what do you think is the biggest threat to women's health? And you know, almost inevitably, women say breast cancer, but you know, no. heart disease is the number one killer. It kills more than all the other cancers combined, and wow. it's 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 really Oftentimes for women, one of the first signs and symptoms that they're having a heart attack is actually they die, you know, um, oh, and I don't right. know if you guys watch Grey's Anatomy, but I thought this was really illustrated beautifully last year. And in I, last do. Season, I do. Did you see when, when Miranda <laughs> Bailey had her heart attack? So yes. Miranda yes. Bailey, powerful woman, chief of surgery, 
she goes to the emergency room and she says, my name is Miranda Bailey and I think I'm having a heart attack. And because she doesn't have the classic symptoms of a man having a heart attack, you know, she doesn't have the crushing chest pain, the left arm pain, mm -hmm. um, she's dismissed, you know. Yeah. In fact, it's actually being written off as a stress response. You know, the psychiatrist is called. Right. Oh, you're just stressed. You're being hysterical. You're just a woman. You're having a bad day. Go have a glass of wine. And that happens to mm -hmm. so many women because the way women present when, with a heart attack is a lot of women, particularly older women, do not present with the crushing chest pain. They're more likely to have breathlessness with mild exertion. They might have neck pain or upper thoracic pain or jaw pain. It could be um, some indigestion. You know, they get a little bit gassy and burpy. They may mm -hmm. have some anxiety and insomnia issues, you know, but oftentimes these are signs, early signs or mid heart attack signs that a woman is actually having a myocardial infarction. And if it's not dealt with, you know, time is myocardium, you know, when you're having a heart attack because all those delays mm -hmm. mean that more heart muscle is being compromised and the longer you wait, the poorer the outcomes. And women don't respond mm. in the same way, you know, to the testing as well, you know, because men typically will have a large discrete blockage, you know, that shows up really nicely yeah. on an angiogram. Women tend to get more, you know, broad, broader, you know, narrowing of the airways. So that doesn't actually show up as well on an angiogram. So even when no. women are taken seriously and they're sent for testing, it doesn't necessarily pinpoint the problem. So wow. it's not detected. We don't respond as well to the medications. And in fact, until about 20 years ago, all the research was done on men. And then it was yeah. just sat down for women because, you know, the, the theory was that women are basically small men, you know, so we'll just give them a smaller dosage. But our hearts are different, <laughs> our hormones are different, you know, and we don't respond in the same way. So this is one of those scenarios where knowledge really is power. You know, you want to, you want to know the signs and symptoms absolutely and be able to advocate for yourself. But to know your risk factors, to control your controllables, and to take charge of your heart health before it's a problem. Because with women and heart disease, it's really important that we prevent a problem rather than just trying to, to deal with it, if you, if you like. Yeah. yeah. Now, as you were listing those symptoms, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm thinking, well, good grief. This morning, I woke up, my neck was kind of sore. You know, it's a busy day today, so... I was feeling a little bit anxious. Um, you know, my, in fact, my left side was kind of tight just because I was, you know, slept on it funny. And, uh, you know, and I, I had coffee and didn't have much breakfast with it. So a little bit of heartburn going, okay. And so now, I, oh, and I know nausea can also be a sign for women, right? Like sudden vomiting out of the blue, just sudden, sudden vomiting that can also be a symptom, but also just nausea. And so I'm thinking, knowing that, but as a woman and a mom, I'm like, well, but how am I supposed to go in? If I go in, they're not going to take me seriously. How do I actually know I'm having a heart attack? And it's, it's, we talk to ourselves and we talk ourselves out of it. So what should a woman do that might be having some of those symptoms? Yeah, such a good question. <laughs> it really is because that's what happens. Either we talk ourselves out of going to get checked out or we go with those set of mm -hmm. symptoms and we're talked out of it, you know? So no. nine times, you know, for a lot of women, nine times out of 10, that is, that is just, you know, it's one of those things you're busy, you're rushing, maybe you're not eating properly. Mm -hmm. But if, if you have, if you have certain risk factors, if you, um, if you have mm -hmm. a family, okay. there's certain things we can control and certain things we can't. So we can't control our family history. 
we can't control, you know, there's that saying about genetics, you know, genetics uh, loads the gun, but your lifestyle pulls the trigger. So if you're a smoker, mm -hmm. if you're diabetic, if you are carrying a lot of excess weight, particularly weight around the center of your body, um, if you're not sleeping well, disrupted sleep is a huge risk factor for a woman having a heart attack as well. So for those women that we see who are getting up a couple of times during the night to go to the bathroom, you know, it's always a good idea right. to take that out a little bit because, you know, are they getting up to go to the bathroom because their bladder is full or is it some sleep apnea that's actually waking them up? Because that's super disruptive for the autonomic system of your heart. If you're getting that sort of disturbance, it means that your heart isn't getting a break at night. And that's really, really stressful and a strong link to cardiovascular disease. Um, so asking those no. sorts of questions and knowing your numbers in terms of your blood pressure, you know, because that's for women particularly when we're talking about those arterial spasms that women tend to get, knowing your numbers and the pressure in the system. How are you managing your stress? Mm -hmm. How long has this been going on? You know, and with that neck pain, you know, is it a new onset? Are you getting any breathlessness with it? Is it related to exercise right. and movement particularly? Those would all be signs that I would say, you know what, I do feel a little bit silly, but when it comes to heart attacks, it's always better to be overcautious than undercautious. And I would say particularly mm -hmm. if you are a peri or postmenopausal woman or you've had a hysterectomy because you're losing the protective effects of estrogen at that point. And mm. so the risk of cardiovascular morbidity and mortality goes up significantly um, if you don't have that estrogen coursing through your veins. Yeah, I'd like wow. to I'd like to learn more about that. I think um, I think for me and probably most people, linking the estrogen and, and heart and coronary issues does that doesn't seem like they go together. Can so can you? No, and you know, and I know a little bit about that, but oh my goodness, as you're talking, I'm thinking about how much I was programmed as a young girl that estrogen is bad. I know. Oh, I know. that'll raise your estrogen. Oh, well, you just are still too high. Oh, estrogen girls, like it was a bad thing. And so as I get older and I learn more about perimenopause and menopause, because hello, that's where I'm heading. Um, estrogen is so protective. It's yeah. so important. And it's a little bit of a brain bend because I am having to reconcile some old patterning. So yeah, tell us more about that. So the thing with estrogen is, you know, um, it's Goldilocks, isn't it? You know, if we have too much of it, it's a bad thing. But if we have too little of it, particularly during our formative <laughs> year, it's a bad thing as well. So, you know, we can, we can look at a, a woman's whole life cycle here, but particularly in the formative years, when she's in her teen years, which I know is an area that you really specialize in, Beth, and we're, we're really looking forward to hearing you talk about this at Woman on Fire. Oh, thanks. For, for our young female athletes, who are, you know, who are exposed to, you know, who are, who are participating at a fairly high level in sports that are very focused on appearance. We know that those are the young women who are at a higher risk of developing um, the female, what we used to call the female athlete triad, uh, and now we call it Red S. So the female athlete mm -hmm. triad is, is where, you know, we've got anorexia or an eating disorder, so the spectrum approach. We've got amenorrhea, so she's not ovulating, she's not having periods, and bone health disorders, so osteopenia through mm. to osteoporosis. And a couple of years ago, then we expanded this description to, to what we now call red S, so that's relative energy deficiency syndrome. 
And essentially what it means that as a young female athlete, if you're not taking in enough energy to match your energy output, your brain has yeah. to decide where it's going to spend that energy and it's not going to be on reproductive health. So that means mm -hmm. that or you're, or well, but that all stems yeah. from the reproductive decision because if you're not ovulating, you're not going to be producing estrogen. And estrogen is mm. incredibly bone protective, it's brain protective, mm. it's important for fertility, but it's incredibly important as well for your cardiovascular system, in particular the endothelial lining of your blood vessels. So wow. if you haven't got enough energy coming in, your brain decides, well, we'll just we'll postpone all that reproductive stuff to whenever because yeah. we just deal with what's happening right now. So right. that's fine. And a young female athlete can get away with that to a certain degree. But we see a lot of premature stress fractures that could be career ending, we see pelvic health issues. But when that young female athlete actually reaches menopause, then she's at quite a high risk of a cardiovascular incident because whatever little bit of estrogen that she's had up until menopause has been protective. That's why, you know, we used to think of heart disease as a primarily men's disease because up until menopause, um, women tend not to have as many heart attacks as men because we have that estrogen mm. protecting our hearts. But when we get to menopause, our estrogen levels drop and our rates of heart attack go up, but our survival rates compared to the same category of men having heart attack is abysmal. So it's wow. where we're starting from, right from those teenage developmental years, you know, can really set the stage for the resilience of your cardiovascular system all the way through to old age. Mm -hmm. The other wow. morning, um, I was like, Petra, my daughter, did you eat breakfast? No, mom, I'm just not hungry for breakfast. I said, hey, I get it. I don't have a huge appetite in the morning either. This is why I put collagen in my coffee, because it kind of ties me over a little bit. But then I try to still eat as quick as I can. And I started listing all the things and her eyes start rolling back in her head. You know, it can be really challenging to teach a teenage girl all this stuff. And, and I just said, okay, look, skip the science, sweetie. I need you to eat. All right. You need to eat. Yeah. And I'm going to stand here until you eat. This morning we made a deal. I was like, Hey, how about some avocado? She goes, if I have that, do I have to eat anything else? I said, if you eat half of an avocado and have some juice, and put some collagen in your tea, we're good, which is probably even a lot. But she sat there and she scooped out that half of avocado and I was a happy mama. <laughs> and at the end of the day, that's all that matters, <laughs> you know? Right. But well, and it's like, okay, she's starting the day with some good healthy fats. And I know that that avocados are great for girls. And okay, this is a win. And I know she'll eat good lunch and dinner later, but it's like getting her to eat in the morning is such a struggle. And it's a struggle for a lot of women. It really is. And that's the whole thing because you know, that was the, I think one of the good things about removing that definition from the anorexia categorization with the female athlete triad to disordered eating, because you don't have to be anorexic yeah. to have an energy imbalance. It just means that you're expending mm. more energy than you're taking in. And if that's the scenario that's playing out, then your brain is never going to choose reproductive health, you know? So it's right. all about making mm -hmm. sure that you've got enough to hit all your bases, immunological, endocrine, bones, reproductive, psychological, uh, cognitive, all of those things have to come out of the energy um, that's available to your brain. And you know, your brain, first of all, is going to take 20% off the top for itself. So it has to decide right. then what it's going to do with all the rest that's left over. And fertility and reproductive health, as I said, it's not a priority. So for our teenage girls, 
sometimes you know we, we have to just really make sure that there's enough going in to match what's going out especially if they are involved in sports at a high level mm-hmm. so what about the 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 woman that's listening to this and she's thinking back you know 25 30 years to her or 10 or 5 years to mm-hmm. to her younger years and thinking oh she's talking about me um what what would you say to her now that she's um older and she's and she's hearing this and she's trying to she's thinking about uh oh i need to pay attention to this <laughs> absolutely yeah is it so, too late i mean if 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 you have a girl yeah. who did not eat well in her teen years right yeah, which is late. most yeah <laughs> It's, it's really, you know what, um, as long as you're above ground, it is never too late. It's never too early, but it's certainly never too late to start thinking about your it. heart health because right. our bodies mm-hmm. are amazing. You know, we, what we're looking to do is develop resilience. And this is what, you know, wherever you are now, moving forward, making better choices, you know, and the worst mm-hmm. thing you can do for your heart health is stress about it because that's going to drive up your blood pressure and just that whole circle begins again. So, you know, know your numbers, absolutely. But, you know, exercise is vital for heart health. You know, if Beth, if you want to pump up your biceps, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to go lift some weights. Some bicep curls, eat some protein. (laughs) Absolutely. But your heart is a muscle, you know, so it needs Mm -hmm. that as well. So your heart loves exercise, you know, and that's what's going to make Mm -hmm. it stronger and more resilient. But for women particularly, it's really important that we don't just focus on you know, the cardiovascular side of exercise. Yeah, I was just going to ask. Yeah, so strength training, yeah. even one strength training mm-hmm. session a week has been shown to decrease your risk of a heart attack from anywhere to 40 to 70%, just one a week. Wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, wow. and how would you define strength training? We just did a, an episode on weightlifting, yeah. but even in that episode, we talked about weightlifting has lots of different categories. So I'm curious how you, as a pelvic floor physio, and a person who's passionate about heart health, how would you define strength training? I would define it as something, first of all, that you're going to enjoy doing, because if you don't enjoy doing it, you're not going to do it. So ah. I'm a big fan. I, I really like the whole, I love yoga and Pilates. So using your body weight, I think could be a really good way of strength training. And the reason that I like okay. yoga for some of that as well is because we have other studies showing that trunk stiffness, you know, how your thoracic spine rotates is actually a good mm. predictor in women of arterial stiffness as well. Wow. So we can get it all going on there, but you know what, you can do kettlebells, you can lift some, you can lift some weights, uh, you can get out your TheraBand, you can do whatever you want, but you're working against resistance. And I think, you know, to make sure that you've got good technique when you're doing it, that you're not hurting yourself, that you're not leaking, you're not breath holding, it's wide mm-hmm. open. Apart from that. You know, it's what you enjoy doing. I think that's really the, for me, the, the key part, because if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to be consistent with it. And for your heart health, your everyday choices that really do add up. So yeah. thoracic rotation, the inability to rotate very well at the trunk mm-hmm. and through your rib area, I'm assuming, is a predictor of heart health. And my brain is making connections to how, here it is, how diastases often goes hand in hand with, oh, I'm just writing this down too as I talk, with oblique adhesions and stiffness. And, and when somebody has a really, really big diastasis, um, we often advise them to avoid rotation for a little while while we kind of sort out their midline because the obliques pull on sure. the midline when they're gripping. 
And so get, we need to ungrip, we need to ungrip their obliques and, and kind of get those to shut up a little bit. But then right away, we want to get that rotation back in. And here's another good reason why. Yeah, because, I mean, if you look at, you know, at my, my friend here beside me, you know, the heart and the lungs are right in the center of the body here. You know, we've got the diaphragm underneath. So if we've got, you know, any restriction in rotation, of course, that's going to have implications for spinal health, you know, which we've talked about from a menopausal health perspective. But just your ability to breathe deeply and well and, you know, to massage yeah. the heart, to use the breath. You know, we've some lovely studies showing that, you know, deep, slow breathing um, not only decreases your pain, but actually can decrease blood pressure as well if you are running towards hypertension. So just changing your breathing patterns. But in order to be able to breathe deeply, we need the diaphragm happy, we need the abdominal region happy, we need the thoracic spine and the rib cage happy. Nothing happens in isolation in our bodies. It's all connected, right. you know? Um, right. And that's, that's what we have to remember. We can't have heart health over here and bone health over here and gut right. health over here. It's a whole person, you know, that's attached to this heart. And it's, it's such an emotionally responsive area as well. We've got to remember what's going on up here as well in terms of stress management and sleep you know all those things factor into healthy hearts so mm -hmm. i want to i want to touch back on this you you've already been talking about it but so normally when everyone thinks about heart health they think cardio 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 yeah and you've talked about strength training and flexibility but i just want to reiterate and, and hear from you again so strength training um and flexibility um are directly tied to um, to your heart health. And that's I think that's gonna be a shocker for a lot of people. Absolutely, because everybody thinks it's about getting out of breath, you know, going for a brisk walk or a hike yeah. or walking or cycling. Yeah. And those are super important, but they're not the only part of the story, you know? Right. Because, you know, we 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 in the industry and you know, we talk so much, don't we, about the importance of strength training for metabolic health, for mental health, for bone health but it's actually super yeah. important for heart health as well. So we're looking for that well-balanced approach and it actually mm -hmm. becomes really important for women who've had a surgical menopause, who've had a hysterectomy with their ovaries removed because mm. we know that that's going to have a direct effect on the health and functioning of their coronary arteries. So if you've mm -hmm. got restriction similar to diastasis, Beth, you know, if the, you know, if you've got some scar yeah. tissue, an open or a laparoscopic hysterectomy that's going to affect right. your ability to move and to exercise and to do those very things that are going to protect your heart when it needs it the most mm -hmm. another thing that uh, you said that i think is really cool um is that uh you say strength training is important for your heart health but but it, that doesn't mean you need to go to the gym seven days a week for two hours um, yeah. I, I, what you said, what I heard you say is even one time a week makes a yeah. pretty significant impact. Uh, That's on what the I do. Absolutely. Yep. And I learned that from the third age women's course in rural yeah. education. And that's what I kind of had defaulted to here in my perimenopausal years, which is the phase before menopause, which we have done a podcast on with, uh, Jessica Drummond, which is one of, one of your close colleagues, amazing women. Um, you, you all are the three of you behind all of this with Braille education and all that is amazing. But I learned, you know, Hey, I don't have to sustain weightlifting three or four times a week, which is what I was doing when I was younger and probably not feeling well enough for that to begin with. 
And once, maybe twice a week is plenty for yeah. some good heavy weight lifting or even doing some yoga, anything with body resistance. Absolutely. It's, it's about incorporating movement regularly into your day. I think, you know, mm -hmm. we have to move away from, you know, just doing that block of exercise and then, you know, is it mm -hmm. okay to sit in your desk chair for the next eight hours? You know, we want to really try and incorporate movement into all aspects of our life that we're strong enough to stand up from a chair without using the arms of the chair to get up, you know, that we can we can squat down to pick something up out off the floor without having to hold our breath to get back up again, you know. And it's about mm -hmm. having that upper body strength and that lower body strength because that's what's going to protect our bones. It's going to improve our metabolic health, you know, it's going to help us keep our, our insulin resistance high and our, our visceral fat low. And all those things go into keeping our inflammation in check, which of course is, is all going to be very protective for our cardiovascular system. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's so important too, because um, I think that a lot of times people will get overwhelmed and then they just slip into the give up mentality. If you say, hey, you got to do this and you got to do strength and you got to do flexibility and, and, and then it's just like, you know what, I just can't, I can't do all that. But well, if you are thinking... Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead. <laughs> no, the guidelines, the guidelines can sound very overwhelming because the guidelines are 150 yeah. minutes of moderate to vigorous and two strength training sessions a week. And 150 minutes sounds like a lot, but when you break it down into 10-minute increments, it's yeah. actually quite easy to sneak these little movement breaks into your day, you know? And you can turn mm -hmm. anything, like just standing up and down from, you know, from your chair. You're working, there you go, you're working those glutes, you know? <laughs> but it's important as well that we do factor in, I think, you know, some, um, some restorative exercise into the mix as well. Like, what are we doing for stress management? Are we doing a yeah, little, yeah. you know, guided relaxation, some mindfulness-based, um, you know, breath work? Because we're, yeah. we're busy people, we're on the go the whole time. Yeah. And we're zipping around from yeah. A to B. Our adrenaline is running, those stress hormones like cortisol are pumping through our veins. Right. And again, that's another stressor on our heart. So how we got the ability to bring it back down again, you know, to de-escalate yeah. the, yeah. the rushing and the busyness. Um, and I think that's the other part maybe of the exercise equation that we need to make sure that we're, we're focusing on that as well. Because in terms of, of managing our autonomic stress response, I think that's, that's yeah. often pushed aside as, as less important, but it's really, it's up there. Yeah. Another thing that you said that I really want to touch on again, um, that I think can be overlooked almost always is sleep. Yes. Um, how important sleep is. And then another component to that is uh, that people don't often realize is that if you're having even mild sleep apnea, the mm -hmm. spikes in cortisol that that your body produces from the sleep apnea that is almost undetectable because it's happening and you're not aware of it um it is devastating to the body so i'd love to hear more about just like enough sleep and that's kind of that's already kind of a tough touchy subject especially with new moms like i don't get <laughs> any sleep so that's really important. But then in addition to <laughs> that, it's this long-term <laughs> kind of situation where people aren't aware. They might be thinking they're getting good sleep, but their body's literally struggling, even lightly throughout the night. It's producing significant cortisol, dumping into the bloodstream. It's, it's, bad. it's bad. It's really dangerous. It really is. Mm -hmm. um, I, just, I recently just read some research that somewhere between 70 to 90 million Americans struggle with their sleep. 
you know, these are big numbers. And it's it's a topic I think that's getting wow. well deserved um airtime at the moment. You know, there's lots of lots of people talking about the importance of sleep and practicing good sleep hygiene, what we can do about that. But you know, we see so many women who are, you know, we, we see them maybe for some bladder dysfunction, for some incontinence issues, and they report that they're getting up a couple of times during the night to go to the bathroom. So an important question to ask is, are you waking up because you have to pee? Or are you waking up and then the sensation to go and urinate happens? Because as you were saying, Chris, you've got sleep apnea where the airways just become a little bit occluded. And sometimes that can happen if we're carrying a little bit of extra weight because some of that you know, will gather around the neck and the throat. And we're lying down flat and the airway will, will start to occlude a little bit. So your brain recognizes that as a, as a potentially life-threatening situation. So it, boom, you know, releases the cortisol, the adrenaline. Come on, you know, let's, let's sort this out before we die. Um, wakes right. you up. Right. Nope, so you shift over. It might not wake you all the way up. It might just be enough to, to shift you over onto your side. So you start breathing again. But all those little disturbances are disturbances to, to the rest opportunity for your heart. And you're spiking mm. those stress hormones repeatedly. And that's stressful for, for, from a blood pressure, from a cardiovascular <coughs> So we know the strong wow. links between sleep apnea and cardiovascular disease. And that might be the first indication that somebody picks up on, you know, that there is actually an right. issue with that. So it's, it's really important that we do tune in to, to women, particularly that we're working with, who are having to get up to go to the loo during the night. And for our postpartum women, particularly Beth, you know, like you were saying, for those first few months or so, you know, who knows what sleep is? <sighs> during that you know who knows yeah wow what we want to ensure is for for our postnatal moms who are getting up during the night you know to go feed the baby or take care of the baby that they're not getting into the habit of waking up and going to the bathroom i might as well because i'm up you know that we really start working Mm -hmm. on training that bladder to sleep through the night you know and not an ongoing starts in postpartum and continues the whole way through you know, so these are the these are the, mm-hmm. the conversations that I think as as women working in in women's health, um, that you know we can have on that level because we, we've you know we've all been there to to talk to women through, but just to make sure that you don't let that become the pattern because long term from a cardio point of view, that could actually be quite stressful for your system. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about pregnancy, but there's this other question that's been forming in my brain. Um, so we'll get to pregnancy in a second, because that you've mentioned to me in our pre-show notes that mm-hmm. pregnancy can be a, a stressor for all this. But one thing I'm appreciating about this podcast right now is how you're focusing on things that are not about the obesity factor. Um, because there's a lot of chit chat among women right now, you know, body positive movements and all that. And my, my, my big gnarly question is, you know, how do we balance that conversation with, okay, love your body and, and, and love yourself where you're at and, and you're beautiful and you're amazing because yes, okay, I don't want to fat shame or body shame anybody, but we know from science um, that carrying weight around your middle is a predictor of heart health issues. Carrying weight around your middle, we now know, is not a predictor of your need for C-section. It's not a predictor of a terrible pregnancy. 
um, we've, we've ruled those things out, but we do know for a fact that it is a concern for this. So how do we, what, what do you say to a woman who um, may need, maybe feel like she needs to lose some weight? Um, you want to encourage her and not shame her, but this, this is an issue. Beth, there isn't a woman alive who is carrying extra weight, who doesn't know she's carrying extra weight. You know, it's this is true. You know, and I think what we have to do is we have to be able to say, you know what, you know, what's going on in your life? Because for women, the two big drivers of belly fat are often sleep deprivation. We know that, you know, disrupted sleep also leads to increased belly fat and stress because when we're stressed, cortisol drives belly fat, you know, Mm -hmm. our abdominal fat cells have four times the cortisol receptors of anywhere else in our body, you know, and we've got that Mm. whole dance then between estrogen, insulin, and, you know, and blood sugar and belly fat. So oftentimes, you know, asking somebody about their stressors, you know, and what are they doing Mm. for stress management, you know, and how are they sleeping at night? That's a really good way to start that conversation. But what we also know from the research is that exercise is really the number one driver when it comes to making better health-related behavioral choices. So if a woman Mm -hmm. wants to exercise, what we can do is then that starts to overflow into other areas of her life, you know, and we can. So we've been saying, oh, weight is lost in the kitchen. But what you're saying right now is that actually weight is lost in bed (laughs) and, and by lowering your stress. Huge, huge. Because, you know, if you are carrying extra weight, it's, it's directly stressful on your body and on your joints. But it's mentally stressful too, because, you know, if you only have to, you know, look on the internet or look at a magazine, you know, or television ads, mm-hmm. and it's there, it's all the time. And then that becomes a stressor. And you think, well, what's the point, you know? But I will say yeah. that you know, for, for any woman, just breaking that cycle of stress and sleep, which gives you mm-hmm. hopefully the energy and the inclination to exercise, which then hopefully will like a domino flow into better food choices and you really start to take this multi-dimensional approach but for midlife women particularly unless they're dealing with their stressors and their sleep it's going to be super difficult to make any long-lasting changes to carrying that extra weight around the center yeah yeah it's key it's key and just being kind to yourself you know making better choices not berating yourself you know this is where we are now and moving forward here's what we're going to do you know we're going to be kind to ourselves. we're going to make better choices that nurture us and that nourish us in every aspect mm-hmm. instead of self-flagellation you know and you set yourself <clears throat> up for success with that but you can't yeah. take you can't take the stress management strategy of chocolate mint ice cream away unless you put another stress management strategy in place, you know, Amen. You have something else there to, to do that because it's there for a reason, you know? So I think, mm-hmm. and, and again, stress management is a key aspect of cardiac health. Managing belly fat right. is a key aspect of cardiac health as well. The two go together, you know, and because it's mm-hmm. a whole person that we're dealing with. So we do that with kindness and you know but with with reality and and with love you know but it has to start yeah. you have to start like actually taking care of yourself and not treating yourself like the enemy yeah another i love that you, you shifted that, that really, away from food yeah mm. I, another thing you said that i really like is <clears throat> it 
as long as you're above ground, it's never yeah. too late. Absolutely. And I think that kind of goes back to the giving up. Um, well, I just can't do this and I can't do that. And I have the weight and I haven't done this. So I'm too busy and I don't get any sleep. And what's the point? I just can't do it. And I think making these small iterative changes um, when added together over time, make a big difference and can save your life. And I think that, like you said, as long as you're above ground, it's not too late. Um, yeah, it's always better if you start earlier, but Absolutely. start now. I heard a really good interview. Um, Marie Forleo uh, was interviewing Stephen Pressfield, who wrote um, The War of Art. And one mm -hmm. of the things that I took away from that interview with them, um, you know, they were talking about, you know, business and creativity and putting yourself out there. But one of the things they said is, put your ass where your heart wants to be. So where do you want to be, you know, and then put your yeah. ass there, do the work, you know, and that's, yeah. that's where you, you, you've got to do the work. It's all very well, you know, talking about it, but you, you do have right. to do the work. So if you want it, um, here are the steps, but you, you still have to do the work, you know, but oftentimes like that. with sleep, because, you know, I mean, like if you're not getting a good night's sleep, nothing is going to go right the next day you know your mood is off you're craving oh, sugar right. caffeine you're kind of you know just rolling back and forth so breaking the cycle with good sleep is one of the most important things that you can do both from a weight gain perspective but also from a heart health perspective as well so practicing good right. sleep hygiene you know super important making mm -hmm. good sleep a priority you know making your bed in the morning you know so that it, it looks nice when you come in staying away from the screens you know for an hour or two before bed having a nice cool dark room but maybe a nice pair of bed socks because nobody likes cold feet in bed you know little things like that <laughs> really exactly. add up to make a big difference you know some some lavender on your pillow making sure you're not having a heavy meal within those few hours before you go to bed um all of those things can set you up for good night's sleep and then you wake up and you actually have some energy to put into the whole process of of loving loving your heart and, and hopefully loving your life as well yeah oh i love i love the idea of the cold room i'm, I'm a big fan of the cold room Me too. <laughs> i gotta have it nice and cold it helps and i you know don't bring this don't bring my phone into the room at night i plug it in out in the kitchen everybody plugs in their phone in the kitchen we don't bring them in the bedroom and that really helps because once i do that it's like okay done no that more and I, you know, I can read a book <laughs> things like that mm -hmm. the phone was a struggle yeah. for me the part that i that, but having said that i am in bed and i'm i'm asleep I'm, I'm so thankfully that that's not a problem right now but it's it's looking at what your driver is you know what's your motivation and what are you willing to do to get there and then what small, easy steps can you start to incorporate, you know, that you can do today to, to live better from tomorrow? Like that. Yeah. Small, yeah. easy steps. We like small, easy steps because, because um, taking the giant steps, that's great and everything, but the, all the studies show that that is almost always short-lived if you try to do, if you just try to go all crazy at once and I'm a big fan of going all crazy mm. at once but you know <laughs> it doesn't you know it's just not studies show that it just it's just very hard to stay with it when it's like that but the small incremental mm -hmm. improvements can make a huge difference absolutely and even yep. you know with exercise we know that like HIIT training is really good from from a cardio point of view it's great for your insulin resistance yeah. great from a weight loss point of view you know 
seven minutes is all we're looking at for a hit session, yeah. you know? So <laughs> it's, it's not, you know, it doesn't have to be big, huge sweeping changes, you know, where you just empty yeah. out all your cupboards in your fridge and throw out all your clothes, just small things. Right. If you seven minutes and any exercise can be turned into a hit exercise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another thing that I've, I've, uh, that I do that I feel, I think I read this somewhere. I think I don't remember where, but um, is air squats, ten air squats three times a day. That takes like three minutes yeah. or less, yeah. and you can do it anywhere. People might think you're weird, but you can do it anywhere. It takes no equipment, and because it's a massive muscle groups, right? Like, like it makes a big difference. The entire day it will improve your heart health, and also burn calories and all the other things too. It's just, you know, I'm doing yeah, them right now. There you and, go. And there's no, and, and there's pretty much no reason to not do it. Um, except for like, maybe if you're not, if you can't do it at the very beginning, then you just don't do 10, but there's really no reason to not do it, you know? And it's just, anyway, I have a little alarm on my phone and I do that. And, um, but that's, that's, that's not really a hit session, but you can easily do. But it gets interval. your heart rate up a little bit. It feels good. Yeah, and people think yeah, people think circulation that, uh, it, intense interval training always has to be like getting out and running on a track and things, and it, it really isn't the case. Any kind of um, movement can be turned into an interval, uh, actually. Yeah, anything. <laughs> so, anything. You know, all yeah. the studies. Forty years ago, Wait, thirty that? years ago, all. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just gonna. It, it's like it's remembering to do it. So I think that's a really good tip, you know, to set a reminder on your phone. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, otherwise you just you get so busy you you don't do those things. But if the phone is nagging you, and even if you miss one of them, but you've got you know you're trying to do three a day, you're doing better than most people out there. Mm -hmm. I think that Every little bit what's counts. interesting about the interval training, and I really like that you brought that up, is you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, like the standard training for marathon athletes was just many, many 20 plus mile workouts a week. And all of the top Olympian Olympic athletes and the top marathon runners in the world, they don't, they don't train like that at all anymore. They might have one long run. The long run might not even be a full marathon length during that length during that week. And there's significant mm -hmm. training in uh, high intensity intervals, um, far like other things that are, that are short workouts. And they're training for a 26 mile run. And so if you just scale that back to the average person and realize if I'm doing the right thing for seven minutes, it can make a really significant impact on your heart and your calorie burn and everything throughout the entire next 24 hours. And so I, I just feel like, you know, it's not, again, it's more about the not getting overwhelmed thing. You don't have, mm -hmm. oh, I want to improve my heart. So I need to go run five miles. No, that you you might have a heart attack if you like just don't go crazy there's some yes. things that you can do to really make a big difference that aren't unobtainable and i think it's you know mm -hmm. anyway i just you know, like the way you're saying yeah. that it's really powerful it's it's small choices throughout the day it's like taking the stairs instead of taking the lift you mm -hmm. know it's maybe parking your car a little bit further away you know if you're running errands you know it's it's all right. those little things that we're saying, you know, so that you're, you're bringing that element of consciousness and mindfulness to it. But at the end of the day, what we know is that people who commit to exercising regularly tend to make better all over lifestyle choices. 
So exercise, whether we're exercising um, for physical strength or fitness or we're flexibility or strength or mental awareness, you know, if we're focusing on our mindfulness right. and our meditation, right. that's a form of exercise too. We're strengthening our brains, you know, and um, all of that goes mm -hmm. into making better broad, broad, broad strokes uh, choices, I think, with every aspect of our health. Yeah. Right. Now, I, really like uh, I have to say that uh, I like that you mentioned the brain, uh, you know, essentially as a muscle, you know, it yeah. really is. It's not it's not muscular tissue, but it certainly does play a huge role. Like you said, the body just takes 20% of our energy right off the top for our brain. Um, somebody wrote in the yeah. other day in our Fit to Be forum and said, "Okay, you know, I'm I just joined and I'm just getting started with the workouts, and I, I just really need something short. Do you guys have anything short?" And I'm like, "How did this girl join and not know <laughs> that most of what we have, not not all, is is very short and sweet and basic. Like literally, Fit to Be is set up for the beginner." who is overwhelmed, has decision fatigue, um, who just needs to find something that is five minutes long and gentle and easy to get going, because that is where we all start. Literally basic breath work and a few stretches. And then that feels good. And hey, maybe you end up doing another video later that day, or you wake up and you feel good the next day, so you do another video because you didn't kill yourself the day before. And she got all these great responses from people that were saying, oh, you know, try the chair exercises or try the basic transverse in Lulabanda and, and she was just like wow I didn't even know that you had all this when I joined <laughs> I was like okay so can you tell me again how you know like how did we get you because <laughs> uh but you know a lot of people sign on thinking okay I'm gonna get fitness I'm gonna get in shape and then they realize I don't have energy I'm tired and because most fitness sites don't provide gentler stuff it's like it's already programmed right. into them to believe that that doesn't exist and it might be hard to find and we really right. tried to make it super easy especially for postpartum women and here's where I'm going to circle it back to the pregnancy thing finally we're going to we're going to come back to that so pregnancy can be a heart stressor how how is that and why yeah I mean you know in some of the literature they will actually describe pregnancy as essentially a stress test for your heart and it's going to give you a really good indication mm. of how resilient your heart is going to be in later life because your heart does get a little bit bigger wow. during pregnancy, but your stroke volume increases, your heart rate increases. So I think I just posted somewhere on social media that your heart rate goes up about 15 beats per minute from four weeks post conception, you know? So that's why calculating yeah, heart rate, you can't just do your 220 minus your age if you're working with pregnant women, because it, it, it's not an accurate reflection of what's going on. Um, Thank you. Wow. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> That makes yeah. Hello, I remember thinking when I was pregnant both times, like that stuff. This does not apply to me. I don't. This is these numbers are not making sense all of a sudden. Now that I'm pregnant, my heart is doing something totally different. Of course, yeah, because you've got all this extra blood going through your system. You know, you've got your plasma mm -hmm. increases, your red blood cells increase, but maybe your red blood cells don't increase as much. So that's why a lot of pregnant women develop anemia. You know, because it's not just keeping right. pace with the increase in blood plasma. But all those changes happen now if you add a little bit of gestational diabetes into the mix. That's where it gets interesting. Because, you know, we're used to thinking about gestational diabetes, you know, it means bigger babies, maybe bigger perineal trauma for mom on the, the exit route. But we know that two things. We know that it really predisposes moms when they're pregnant to high blood pressure 
or hypertension, and that can push through into preeclampsia, which is potentially fatal if it's not treated properly. But hypertension in pregnancy is a strong predictor of cardiovascular disease and premature death when you're perimenopausal. So it's really important that, you know, if we're working with perimenopausal, wow. that we take a good obstetric history as well. Like, how are your pregnancies? Because we also know that if you've mm -hmm. had diabetes, you're more likely to develop type 2 diabetes, which of course has other cardiovascular effects in later life too. So it's all, you know, beautifully interrelated. But what, knowledge is power, you know? So if we know these mm -hmm. things, right. we know exercise potentially, with a couple of nice studies, um, we know that exercise can potentially reverse gestational diabetes. You know, it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's so beautifully designed. We know that if you have type 2 diabetes, we know that exercise can really change your insulin sensitivity and resistance. We know that lean muscle mass is going to change your metabolic rate. We know that stress management and exercise and making good food choices are going to help decrease that visceral fat around the center of our body, which is going to help ameliorate yeah. some of the risks for that. But I think pregnancy, you know, so many different changes going on throughout the cardiovascular system. We know that the smooth muscle, um, the, the muscle walls of our blood vessels, you know, they become a little bit looser, you know, so we, we get varicose veins, you know, we might get a little bit of uh, foot and ankle swelling because our peripheral vascular resistance increases in pregnancy as well. So all of those things can be a stressor for the heart. So we want to make sure for moms that, you know, we're, we're telling them, you know, to maybe avoid motionless standing or motionless sitting for long periods of time, because that really makes the heart work maybe a little bit too hard as well. So, you know, I know I'm a bit like a broken record and a one trick pony here, but exercise again at all stages of a woman's life really is yeah. key for optimizing cardiac health, but particularly in pregnancy. And, you know, again, the guidelines for pregnancy, 150 minutes of moderate to vigorous. So if we use something like the Borg rate of perceived exertion scale, that 20 point scale, that's actually been mm -hmm. shown to be a really nice indicator of how hard a mom is working. Mm -hmm. And not to be afraid to exercise. When you get through that first trimester, for your second and third trimester, it's going to, you know, it makes labor shorter, faster, easier, better outcomes for mum, but you have better outcomes for babies at the end. Babies of mums who exercise tend to have better APGAR scores. And they also, mm -hmm. we've got some interesting mouse studies, and um, you know, but there's a reason that we use mouse studies because they tend to replicate what happens in humans, that if mice exercise when they're pregnant, they tend to give birth to mice who like exercising so it carries through really? the next generation which is just it's amazing you know and um, so yeah. in terms of generational health you're you're setting up your children for success and that's that's really what we want as parents mm -hmm. isn't it you know to be able to carry yep. that through and i i think it's it's one of our core missions i think is to really start spreading the word about exercising so if pain is a barrier to you exercising get it sorted we know you know that yeah we know that continence issues mm -hmm. are a barrier for up to 50 percent of women outside of pregnancy exercising get your pelvic health yeah. sorted don't let that hold you back you know there's so much help out there mm -hmm. for you now so it's it's all about giving women back the the power and the space and the confidence to move and to enjoy their bodies um in all these different ways because that's really, you know, the heart is a symbol for love universally at this point, you know, but we have to show our heart a little bit of love as well. And it's about, it's about putting some work in to keep us 
keep it happy no matter what life stage we're at. Yes, I agree. Michelle, I'm never going to stop you from saying over and over that we need exercise. I mean, please. I know. <laughs> well, and, and you know, you're preaching to our crowd too, um, but we still need reminders. I still need reminders. I have days where, uh, you know, even me, and I really, truly love exercising. I feel so much better when I do it. And I truly enjoy so many different modes and styles of fitness. But I still have days where I need some motivation and I have to purposefully put some of that motivation in front of myself. And this podcast is one more way that we try to do that for people. So yes, you can, you can do that one trick pony and anytime you want. <laughs> and that's it. You know, if you're having a day when you don't feel like, you know, going for a hike or a run, you know, pick up the weights, you know do five yep. like so if you if you come to my rather messy house you know you'll see there are weights kind of some weights in the bedroom there's some weights in the sitting yep. room there's a bit of paraband on the, on the bathroom door you know so you can, you can subtly kind of interweave it in and even to do five or uh -huh. ten reps sometimes that's all you do mm -hmm. but sometimes it's like on yeah i think i'm gonna keep on going you know or you jump on the power plate yeah and it comes 30 seconds burst you know anybody can do 30 seconds you know and then you think oh I'll just do another 30 seconds and another 30 seconds mm -hmm. you know and you can yep. you can just sometimes your mind is a little bit like you know kind of a, a a cranky toddler no I don't want to exercise today but you do a little bit and you think oh you know, maybe maybe I do maybe I will do a little bit more you know and you just <laughs> you know what's going on you have to kind of just lead by the hand sometimes and, and trick it into maybe doing mm -hmm. a little more, you know and yep, that's that's how my day was yesterday. We all yeah. have those days. I I didn't I I you know I knew I needed it, but I just was kind of sore and tired, and so I preached to my own self, and I said, okay, well if you're sore and tired, what do you need? What kind of motion do you need? Do you need to relax? Maybe you need some down regulation. So I got out my yoga tune-up balls. Um, we did a podcast with Jill Miller a while back. They're amazing. I went to a workshop with her, so I was all this information fresh in my I'm head. Addicted. I ended up playing with those for like a solid two hours while watching some Netflix and taking notes on what I'm doing. Cause eventually I would like to put together a class. And so I was like totally stacking and I felt so much better when I was done. And I got all this little bits of intrinsic motion and muscle release and it just feels good. Yeah, By the way, I, mean, I was watching Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> <laughs> Bring it all back together again. <laughs> yep. <laughs> That's a perfect example though, Beth, isn't it? Because you know, we, you're, you were doing something nice for your body. You weren't out kind of mm -hmm. pounding the pavement or lifting heavy weights, mm -hmm. but you were doing something good for your body that felt good. You felt good afterwards. And you were, you were just practicing some, some deep self-care, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And all those kind of little knots and aches, you know, once they were kind of, you know, I mean, I love my yoga tuna balls. I, I don't leave home without them quite literally. You know, there's always a, a, a pair of them in my handbag because, it's just a great way to put you back in your body again. And sometimes to, to showcase where you're holding tension that you're not even aware of, you know? And mm -hmm. again, it's, it's oh, that yeah. chronic stress that's actually one of the worst types, you know? Yes, there's the sudden spikes in stress, but if you're carrying that baseline tension around with you all the time, it means that you're constantly mm -hmm. humming at this elevated level. And that's why I think doing something mm -hmm. like the self-massage with Humming. the yoga balls is it's a good way to kind of go, oh yeah, I didn't realize my shoulders were so tight. 
and now I can let them go again. Now my breath has dropped a little bit and now I can actually mm-hmm. feel them moving again. And it just puts you back in your body again, but without, you know, mm-hmm. with love, with love. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Kind of grounding and centering. Yeah. yeah. Oh, good stuff. So Michelle, um, <laughs> as we kind of wrapping this up, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on, um, what do you tell that woman that is, is hearing this podcast and she's, she's thinking, you know, I just, I've probably been ignoring this for 20 years or 10 years mm. and I'm kind of feeling like I should probably pay attention to this, but I just, I hear that what they're saying that they start with something little, but I just don't know. Like, what's your advice to that, to that person? Go for a walk. Walking is probably one of the best mm. forms of exercise uh, that we can do mm-hmm. it's easy it's free if you can do it in the morning um, and expose yourself to some natural daylight in the morning it really resets your it helps reset your circadian rhythms so if you get outside yeah. in nature in the morning you're going to probably going to sleep better that night you know um, and right. particularly you know there's a whole japanese practice it's called um shinrin yoku uh, called forest bathing if you can get out into nature into the mm-hmm. woods um you know, it's so beneficial on, on a psychological level, but also on a physiological level, because, you know, you're basically, you're breathing in the oxygen that right. the trees are breathing out. Um, but walking, right. particularly in the morning, without sunglasses on, even just to walk five minutes and five minutes back, that's a great start. And it's I easy. Love it. I love easy it. Good. Mm. Easy so is good. good. And, and, and it, it kind of sets your whole day up, too. It really does. And I would say the other big thing is if you're a smoker, get help because smoking is just one of the most damaging mm-hmm. things that we can do to our heart and lungs. So if you are a smoker, um, nobody needs to tell a smoker that it's bad for them because again, everybody, right. but there, there are great, right. there's great resources out there. I really like, um, Alan Carr has a great book called how to stop smoking. You know, and it, it does what it says in the tin. It's pretty self-explanatory. But he talks about the psychology of stopping smoking because, um, you know, everybody's heard that, oh, it's harder to stop smoking than it is to stop taking heroin, you know? So if you have that little earworm in your head, of right. course it's going to be right. hard. So what mm-hmm. Alan Carr asks in his book is, in whose interest is it for you to believe that? You know, and what if that wasn't <laughs> actually you know can we just change our perspective Mm -hmm. a little bit and it's full of kind of good insights like that and i will say that my husband was a smoker until about 10 years ago and we tried everything patches hypnosis the fake cigarettes acupuncture the only thing that worked was this book so i'm a believer alan carr how to stop smoking you know and you find them in thrift stores and goodwill stores for like a dollar or two all over the place nice so there, it's, I'm going to go find some because okay. I've, I've got some friends. I, if you're watching, then you know I've got purple hair right now. And this is because we've been working on some big projects for Fit to Be. And um, one of those was an interview we did with a gal who has been clean and sober for two years. Um, and we interviewed her for a lesson on substance use disorder for the Fit to Be growth course. And it's awesome. So purple is one of the colors that symbolizes opioid addiction awareness. And as soon as we finished the interview, she's like, okay, I need a cigarette because she does still smoke. I mean, this is a girl who was on all the things. 
she was on yeah. all the big things sadly addicted by her doctor we could go down rabbit trail but I just want to do this really quick before we wrap up but she was addicted by her doctor at age 13 when he prescribed 90 Percocet a day for her um, to deal with her cramping and her headaches it wow. should have been addressed naturally it should have been addressed functionally but instead he just gave her drugs and her mom mm -hmm. gave her the drugs and they kept filling the prescription and by the age of 15 she was a hot mess and so that's not a bad choice on her part so I smoking is accepted in the recovery community because it's because not it's drugs <laughs> right but but it is harder on their hearts um, and a lot of them would like to quit, but I have heard so many times what you just said, Michelle, which is it's actually harder to quit than heroin. They'll say that. And I'm just like, okay, but I, I'm going to use your line now. I'm going to say, okay, but who does that benefit? And I'm going to go find that book. <laughs> With the Alan Carr book, you know, just to, uh, I have no financial interest in Alan Carr's book sales, but, right. um, with his book, he recommends that you keep on smoking while you're reading it. So it's not okay. like going to be too affronting and you know right. and it's basically helping that. you come sure. to that realization and then you're taking back your power over the cigarettes right 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 so oh, such good stuff and, and it all ties into heart health it all ties in Absolutely. i think we covered it all did we cover it all <laughs> no probably not even we're close not. we're gonna learn more in the next five years all. and we're gonna have to do all this again <laughs> My pleasure. Oh, so much to learn so much to learn. Yeah. But isn't that mm. great? Well, thanks. Yes. Well, thanks for being on. Michelle, we always appreciate yeah. your time. Oh, my pleasure. It's always good to talk. Super good. Always good to talk. Mm. I think you yeah, guys do great work. It. So it's um it's about having these conversations, spreading the knowledge. Because I think, you know, if if I think sometimes um in health and women's health, we're really good at talking to each other. And maybe not as good at getting the word mm -hmm. out. So I think um, this podcast is incredible because you've such a diverse array of speakers on, um, and then to be able to share that with with normal women, you know, um, mm -hmm. who are maybe you know, who, who aren't aware, you know, because I think sometimes we can yeah. live in a little bit of a bubble and think, well, but everybody knows this, and and sometimes right. they don't, and it's to have these conversations mm -hmm. because sometimes as well everybody thinks that they're the only one. You know, and to realize I like that, that you that you say that they're the normal ones, so that oh, yeah. we're the weirdos. We're the weirdos who oh, like self awareness. <laughs> but, yeah. the first step. Oh man, I got I got into it again the other day. I was in a coffee shop and I ended up down a rabbit trail on pelvic health stuff, and the poor person was like, they were looking oh, around like. Shh. <laughs> Yeah, normal people oh, don't always do that best. That's my top tip. I, I've discovered that. Apparently, normal people don't always talk about vagina. I, I don't know why. So weird. So weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, Chris, you're going to have to wrap us up. I can't do it. I could talk to this lady forever. All right. <laughs> Michelle, thank you so much for your time. It's been fantastic, as always. Um, I absolutely love your practical your practical advice and knowledge on this is just, it's really good. Um, it's sad that mm -hmm. there's so, so much lack in the information and training, but we're trying to fix that. And you are such an expert in that. It's been very, it's been very good. We'll put in the show notes, mm -hmm. obviously links to you and your stuff and, and in this book that you recommended on the smoking. It's just, it's just so good. So thank you for your time. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we'll have to do, more uh more with you later in the future so i'm looking forward to that as well 
Anytime, Chris. Thanks yep. for having me. Yeah, You're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, friends and fans, if our podcast floats your goat, you should subscribe to Fit2Be Radio and also follow us on Twitter at fit to be on Instagram at fit to be studio and on Facebook via fit to be Tummy Safe Fitness. That's my rooster. I'd also love for you to join fit to becom so you can work out with me. Plus, that's how we pay our bills that keep our lights on, providing family-friendly workouts that help you make a strategic return to fitness. See you there.